Hey friends, M. Faring here. I am so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope we're able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hey, all Welcome back, as it's beginning to sound a whole lot like Christmas here on the OOBT podcast. Well, okay, Advent, actually. <laughs> I'm super excited to take a deep dive together in one of my most favorite times of the year, Advent, Christmas, all the things. However, before we do, can I just come right out and say a truth found in my own heart as we enter this season? Actually, these thoughts and feelings may be truths in your own life circumstances, too. I'm tired, heartbroken, exhausted, weary even, and I'm guessing I'm not alone in these feelings, am I, friends? Last month was tough. This year has been bizarre. The last few years have been difficult, to say the least. Advent means Jesus is coming and He has come. This also explains our everyday reality of the not yet, but already. It sounds beautiful, but the tension of being a Christian during these times of not yet, but already has begun to show wear in my heart. Maybe it has in yours too, my friend. Waiting seems passive, but as many of us are now quickly learning through these threadbare days, waiting comprises most of our life. And if we passively watch ourselves wait in the shell shock that often comes when we're waiting, and the world around us just seems to be moving anyway, we miss the mystery and thrill and even the joy of this Advent tension. When we choose to bring the pain and ache and even numbness involved in the wait into our conversation with God, this is where what's been cold and dark for too long, friends, finds His light and His warmth. I know for many of us, me included, the holidays can be a mixed bag of emotions and experiences, some incredibly beautiful, others devastatingly painful. No matter what we face, we know we don't have to face it alone. We can come to God in the hard and the holy and trust Him to be present and active with us as we navigate our daily lives. And we can know with certainty God is right here in the story with us too. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh friends, there it is. That tension we've been talking about a lot this year. The hard and the good, the joy and the pain, grief and gratitude in the waiting. Oh how so many understand this struggle in seasons of waiting. Waiting and even long-suffering have both certainly been a theme discussed over and over again in so many episodes of OOBT over this last year. Noah, Job, Abraham. I hope those names all sound familiar and you are now recalling their various stories of waiting for God to fulfill His promises made to them, or in Job's case, to come through and meet Him in His long-suffering. As a quick side note here, if those do not sound familiar, no worries at all, friend. Just head on back to previous episodes of OOBT in Genesis and Job to meet all of these men, their families, and the God-sized missions placed on their lives. So much to read, hear, and learn, but so, so worth the effort, my friends. However, in continuing on, I want us to lean in a bit more to consider how long that wait for the promised Messiah was, especially in light of our own seasons of waiting. Think about it this way for a moment, my friends. Jesus came into the world in a season of great waiting. As the Old Testament comes to a close with a four-chapter book called Malachi, we simply turn one page, and then we are reading the book of Matthew and the genealogy of Jesus. This is such great news. God has done what He promised to do all throughout the Old Testament. There in one page, in one turning, one millisecond, it happens. 
Historically, this is not how it played out, though. Four centuries of nothing from God. Four hundred years of where is God. Think of that. Four hundred years without any recorded word from God. No voice. No prophet. Nothing. Imagine the heartache in the waiting, and the struggle to keep the faith in the promises given before that time. You can almost hear the questions from one generation to the next. Had God vanished? Was He ever really there? Was faith in Him a waste of time? That is the before story of Emmanuel, coming from heaven to earth. 400 years of nothing from heaven, as far as we know. And then, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary in Matthew chapter 1. And more on this visit, and so much more from the Christmas story in the next episode, I promise. In the same way, however, I recently came across this perspective about waiting from Caitlin Buchilian, whom I follow on Facebook. She wrote, This question forever changed how I think about Advent. What if the last time God spoke, it was 1622? It takes half a second to flip from Malachi to Matthew, but 400 years pass in between. What does 400 years sound like? Quiet, confusion, doubt. Has he forgotten us? Maybe we misunderstood. Maybe we were wrong. It's the beginning of Advent, and I can't stop thinking about the generations that continued to tell the story. The ones who kept on repeating the words while listening for the next line. Sunrise. Sunset, repeat, day after day, generation after generation. Waiting, remembering, believing, and then the page turned. God didn't just break the silence with a word. The word became flesh and moved right into the neighborhood. The promise maker in Malachi is a promise keeper in Matthew. They waited for a word to break the silence, and now we mark 400 years of silence with four weeks of hushing during the Advent season. Waiting remembering, believing. Christ has come and will come again. We get to tell the story of this in-between, on this page, in the already-not-yet. May we be a people who wait well, who cling to hope when the night is long, who remember and believe, even in the silence, that darkness doesn't get the final word. Everything sad will come untrue, for light has come, love has won, and all is being made new. Hope is here. Emmanuel, God with us forevermore. The weary world has a very good reason to rejoice. The story is in good hands. Moving on in our discussion of waiting, this Daily Grace Company blog post titled Weary in Advent from December 2020 reads, Are you weary? This year has been one for the books. It has seen a pandemic and a hostile political election, sickness and pain, loss of all kinds, and the list could go on and on for each of you. For many of us, we've experienced loss before, But for all of us, I would imagine that we've experienced losses of varying importance, whether loss of something trivial that brings us comfort or the loss of someone near and dear to us. The weariness that this long season has held for us has caused me to think differently about the longing that must have been in the hearts of those who looked to the coming of the Messiah. Can you imagine the waiting? And it wasn't just for nine months, a year, or even ten. The remnant of Israel, those who had faith in God and trusted Him, Look to the fulfillment of the promises that they had heard their entire lives. Imagine the longing. Imagine the weariness that can come with waiting on something your heart hopes for. The longing and the weariness in the waiting that we are experiencing in the world today should direct us to the truth from God's Word and the joy of the Gospel. First, it should help us in understanding the desire of the nations for the one who would bring salvation to the world. The familiar carol, O Holy Night, helps capture the coming of Jesus and how significantly it impacted the world. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. 
A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Imagine Simeon, who had spent his life looking forward to Israel's consolation, as found in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. He knew that he would see the Messiah before he died, and on that day that Mary and Joseph entered the temple and Simeon saw Jesus, he exclaimed, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. Luke chapter 2, verses 29-32 through 32. Yonder had broken a new and glorious morn. The coming of Jesus changed everything. At His coming, the world rejoiced. The weariness was over. The waiting was over. This wasn't just another baby born, but this child, this was Jesus. God made flesh who would dwell among us. Though like us in human flesh, He would remain sinless. And because He was sinless, He would one day offer Himself up on our behalf to cancel the written code of sin on our hearts, take God's wrath that we deserved, and give us His righteousness in exchange. Plus, present us as His brothers and sisters to God the Father. In Christ, friend, God has satisfied our deepest need. This truth should encourage our weary hearts in this season. A new day has come. The Messiah who would come and save the world has come. We could get absorbed in the realities around us that are out of our control, or we could allow the Lord to orient our hearts to Him, the one our hearts should be longing for as we wait His second coming. We can be weary and still have hope. We have hope in knowing that just as God promised to send a Messiah, He did. He is trustworthy and true, and He will be faithful to uphold His promises over and over again. Don't lose heart in this season and in the days and months after Advent has come and gone. We can surrender our weary hearts to the Savior of the world. After all, the Savior says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Did you hear that, friends? Jesus has promised us rest for our weary and burdened hearts. Another Daily Grace Company blog post titled Advent, The Gift of Waiting, What Advent and Waiting Teaches Us, begins. I don't consider myself to be a patient person. I get frustrated if the item I want to order on Amazon won't get to me in two days. I'm bothered if the line in the grocery checkout is almost down to the food aisle. I have to push down irritation when traffic builds up on the highway. I don't like waiting. When was the last time you waited for something? What were you waiting for? What emotions did you feel? In my opinion, waiting feels better when the object you're waiting for is a delight. If you're stuck waiting in line to get on an airplane, you might not care as much because you know the airplane will touch down at your vacation destination. I'm not a mother, but I'm sure carrying a little one feels worthwhile because you know you will eventually hold your baby in your arms. The future delight is worth the present waiting. Advent is a season of waiting, a waiting that involves joyful anticipation. The word Advent means coming, and the season anticipates the coming of Jesus, celebrated at Christmas. Advent officially started on Sunday, November 27th, and even if you don't usually celebrate Advent, I encourage you to embrace this season of waiting. Advent teaches us that waiting is a gift, for this season of waiting yields, amongst other things, the gift of slowing down and perseverance. Number one, ways Advent teaches us to slow down. Sometimes waiting feels like time is slowed down, which may be why it's so easy to become impatient. But there's actually something beautiful about time slowing down. Often we can be people who move from one thing to the next, always on the move. 
When we live in constant motion, we can prevent our hearts and minds from contemplation. It can be hard for us to be still, but when we allow ourselves to stop, we give ourselves the opportunity to sit and reflect. Think about what you tend to do when you have to wait. For me, I grab my phone. I convince myself that the waiting will feel better and go by faster if I scroll on Instagram or watch a YouTube video. Yet, picking up my phone keeps me from slowing my mind. I keep myself from processing my thoughts and preparing my heart for my day as I fill my time with mindless scrolling. The Lord gives us moments throughout our day to wait, and those moments are actually a gift. Moments of waiting are opportunities to slow down and be still. Therefore, Advent is a season to slow down. Christmas is coming, but it isn't here yet. So instead of rushing to get our Christmas gift list all checked off or hurrying through the days to get to Christmas, we can allow ourselves to slow down. We can take moments throughout our day for reflection and contemplation, thinking about what, or rather whom, the Christmas season is about. We can even place ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites thousands of years ago who were waiting for the arrival of the Savior. They prepared their hearts for His coming, and so can we as we use the Advent season to draw near to God's Word and to come to the Lord in prayer. Waited time is not wasted time. So let's take the opportunity Advent brings to slow down and meditate on the gift of Christ's coming. Number two, how Advent teaches us perseverance. Looking ahead to what you are waiting for fuels your perseverance as you wait. For example, knowing that the arrival of your best friend is two weeks away helps you persevere in the moments in between. In the Old Testament, God helped the Israelites to persevere by giving them prophecies of the coming Savior. He did this to instill hope in their hearts for the future as they dealt with hard and painful experiences in the present. When they found their hope waning, they could remind themselves of the arrival of the promised Messiah who would bring lasting restoration. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, has come, but there is a second advent when Christ will return to bring about lasting restoration. The advent season reminds us that Jesus has come and it also helps us to anticipate the day Jesus will come again. And just like the Israelites, Christ's future coming helps to motivate us in the present. As we look ahead, we are reminded that the hardships of our lives are temporary. We wait for the day of Christ's return with hope, knowing that this broken world is not our eternal home, because one day the Prince of Peace will come again to make all things new. The Advent season reminds us that just as the Israelites persevered as they waited for the Savior, so we can persevere as we wait for our Savior to return. Though the present can be hard and weary, Advent encourages us to look ahead and rest in the coming of our Savior. As a point of reference here before we move on, I found this information in my research. The word Advent comes from a Latin origin meaning the coming or coming toward. Many centuries ago, Christians felt it was inadequate to mark off only one day of the yearly calendar to celebrate this great occasion, Christmas Day. Advent was created not only to serve as a reminder, but to also serve as an active way to teach adults and children alike the significance of Christmas. With that said, my friends, I recognize that by the time this episode airs, we will already be a full week and a half into this year's Advent season that began on Sunday, November 27th. With this realization, I want to share this truth with all of you. Give yourself grace and please, please, please don't become overwhelmed at the days you've missed out on but instead lean into turning your gaze toward Jesus for the days remaining until Christmas Day. Consider this perspective from the Daily Grace Company's blog post titled, A Slow Walk to the Manger, Meditating on Scripture This Christmas Season. It reads, What if the manger was enough? If there were no gifts to unwrap, no special meal, no traditions, 
Would Jesus be enough for Christmas this year? This is a tough question for any of us to ask. Gifts, meals, and traditions are not inherently bad, but if they become more important than Jesus, we have made an idol out of them. What if this Christmas we choose to truly put Jesus front and center? There are 15 days between now and Christmas morning. The best way to focus on Jesus is to focus on His Word, to focus on the promises of God that are the greatest gifts we will ever receive. For those not doing an Advent study this year, or even if you are, don't miss out on the beauty of walking with your Savior to Christmas morning. Each day between now and Christmas, meditate on one of the scripture passages below. Some ways you can do this is by writing a verse on a note card and placing it on your bathroom mirror, next to the kitchen sink, or on your computer at work, so you can read it multiple times and rest in the truth of the passage. For those who are really creative, utilize a small tree with some paper ornaments. Write out the verse each day and include your family as you place it on the tree and focus on Jesus. However you choose to meditate on Scripture, use it to point your heart to Christ and thank the Lord for His many gifts. When you wake up on Christmas morning, take some time to worship your Savior who left His majestic throne, came to earth as a humble baby, and walked the road to the cross where His blood was shed for you. Remind yourself of these verses and praise the Lord for His grace and presence in your life. The words Merry Christmas will be filled with more joy, hope, and love than ever before. Okay, friends, so rather than reading through all the 15 scriptures referenced in this blog post, I've included the list in the show notes for all of us to meditate on in the days leading up to Christmas. This will be time well spent at OBTers. With that said, let's return to this thought from Caitlin's Facebook post that referenced the promise maker and the promise keeper, our God, Emmanuel, God with us. Louis Giglio offers us this perspective in his book, At the Table with Jesus, in his Day 12 reading titled, Jesus is God with Us. It begins with Matthew chapter 1, verses 20-23, through 23, which read, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Without a doubt, Christmas is one of the best seasons of the year. Yes, I know it's hectic. Yes, I know it can be expensive. Yes, I know gathering with family is not always as fun as it should be. And yes, I know there is usually at least one moment when you're ready to throw your hands in the air and escape to an isolated cabin or a deserted island. Me too. But when you push all that aside and get right down to the core of things, Christmas is about God coming near. It's about God stepping inside. It's, as the prophet Isaiah said so many thousands of years ago, Christmas is about God with us, which means Christmas is all about Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. What's important, though, is that the incarnation of Christ was not the first time God stepped in close to be with humanity. No, God has been with us from the beginning. Genesis 3 reminds us that God was in the habit of walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He often joined them in the cool of the day, as found in verse 8, just to hang out, just to be with them and enjoy their company. That's God with us. Speaking with Abraham, God promised, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Chapter 17, verse 7. Yes, This moment is often framed around God's covenant with Abraham, a legal agreement. But don't miss the personal element there. 
the creator of the universe, knelt down to Abraham and said, I will be your God. That's God with us. Exodus records this incredible statement. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Chapter 33, verse 11. When Solomon brought the Ark of the Covenant into God's house, God's presence so saturated the temple that the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 11. And all throughout the Old Testament, God's promise resounded over and over to humanity. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 22. That's God with us. Throughout history, every time humanity has tried to push God away through sin and rebellion, He's either responded by taking another step closer, another step nearer, another step deeper into the mess of our world. That is exactly how Jesus arrived. He is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to be with us. He is not just God with us. He is God with you. Whenever you mess up, He moves in a little closer. Whenever you fail, He fills your shame and reaches out to set things right, to fortify your mind. Beautiful. Just beautiful. God with us. Hang with me a bit here and let me say a few of those lines again just to be sure we don't miss the weight of these truths. Throughout history, every time humanity has tried to push God away through sin or rebellion, He has responded by taking another step closer, another step nearer, another step deeper into the mess of our world. That is exactly how Jesus arrived. He is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to be with us. So, so amazing. Did you also catch in there some names we mentioned earlier in today's podcast? Names from our studies over the course of this year. Promises made. Promises that found their fulfillment in Jesus' birth. Promises related to where we left off in Genesis study, specifically with Abraham and Isaac. In all truth, my plan for the remainder of this episode is to help us to lean into God's promises to Abraham, along with their fulfillment in Jesus. Waiting. Provision. Laughter. I so hope by the end of our remaining time together today that these themes in Abraham's life are understood. With that said, Let's just dive right in, shall we? Before we do, though, let me just say that one of my goals in this and the next OOBT Advent episode is to encourage us to think about these stories, these peoples of the promises of God as just that, people, humans. So much is happening in these verses in Scripture, and I personally love to try to imagine the day-to-day realities, emotions, and the struggles even. With that said, I'm going to share some fictionalized narratives to consider the reality of what is happening here. In a chapter titled A Call and a Promise in the Advent, the Story of Christmas book by Sherry Gregg, she depicts Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, when she writes, The morning sun was already hot on Abraham's back as he gave one last sharp tug on the strap, securing Sarah's pack to her donkey. He then turned to look up into his wife's beautiful, dark eyes fringed with thick lashes. She offered him a small smile and extended her hand to him, which he squeezed reassuringly before turning back to make one last sweep through their home, to be sure they had packed up everything. The moment he stepped through the door, the temperature dropped dramatically. Years before, when Abraham had first arrived in Haran with his aging father and extended family, he was stunned by the rows of beehive homes clustered together along the banks of the river. The odd structures were brilliant adaptations to life in the scorching heat. Each room of these homes was constructed of mud, straw, and stone and topped with a lofty cone roof left open at the top. The heat rose up and out, creating a cool and comfortable shelter year-round. The homes were easily expanded as a family grew. One wall was simply knocked out, a new beehive structure built, and an arched doorway constructed to join them. Abraham walked from room to room, his footsteps echoing in the barren space. 
Walls once hung with colorful textiles were now spotless. Floors once draped in bright rugs and strewn with pillows were swept clean. He reached the last room and stood silently in the doorway, watching as motes of dust danced in the beam of, of sunlight falling from the roof opening above. He turned to place his forehead against the cool wall and took a deep breath. Empty. He was trading the abundance and security of prosperous heron for miles and miles of empty. Empty stomachs, empty water skins. His now empty home for life in a tent. Who in his right mind would take his family, servants, and all he possessed into a world of empty and unknowns? Abraham placed one rough hand against the smooth, cool adobe and looked up to gaze through the opening in the roof and into the clear blue sky. And there, into the emptiness, he repeated the promise of God. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Canaan was a land empty of guarantees, and yet it overflowed with something infinitely better, God's promises. Abraham was risking everything to grasp hold of God's promises with a heart filled with audacious faith. Moments later, when Abraham stepped back across his threshold for the last time, the heat hit him like a wall, shimmering off of the ground beneath his feet and stilling his breath. In the distance, the river danced in the sunlight, a glistening jewel set into the verdant abundance of the fertile crescent. He walked back to Sarah, turned his eyes toward Canaan, and with a shout to his men to move out, took his first steps westward toward the land of promise. She Reads Truths Come Thou Long Expected Jesus Advent Study provides this perspective about what is happening here in Genesis chapter 12. The Advent season overflows with longing. Some longings linger like a slow burn, while others ambush us, revealing a surprising mix of nostalgia, sadness, gratefulness, and yearning. One minute I'm calmly sitting in my car at a red light, and the next I'm wiping away tears triggered by a tender Christmas tune. It can be powerful and bittersweet to hold memories from our past, along with hopes for our future. It can be a lot to hold. Today we learn about Abraham and Sarah and why God called this childless couple to leave their home to follow him to the promised land of Canaan. God said, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Consider the longings of this ancient couple as they may have wept, saying goodbye to home, family, and friends. Remember, they also turned away from false gods and idol worship to orient their entire lives around the one true God. Abraham heard, believed, and obeyed the call of God. This was no stroll through a winter wonderland. It was a trek through the desert wilderness. Surely Abraham and Sarah felt sorrow for all they left behind. But they walked on, fueled by God's promises of land, blessings, and a large family. Despite their years of infertility, Abraham and Sarah left all they knew and trusted God's radical promise to birth a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. Genesis chapter 15, verses 2 through 5. What a promise to long for. This revelation must have pricked their hearts and unearthed deep wounds, hope, and wonder, as well as confusion and fear. But God promised to be with them and to provide. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. The astounding truth is that all believers are part of this radical promise, including you and me. Those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith, as it reads in Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. Over 4,000 years ago, Abraham and Sarah looked ahead for God to reveal himself and make a way for his people to be reunited with him and each other. This hope was fulfilled at the cross of Christ. Believers from all nations, more numerous than the stars in the sky, are united in Jesus Christ. 
Together, as a family across time and space, we are fueled by our ultimate longing for Christ to return, make all things new, and complete the redemption and renewal of all creation. Continuing on in Sherry Gregg's book, Advent, the Story of Christmas, the Count the Stars chapter based on Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, begins, Abraham lay on his mat, listening to the sounds of the night, the snoring of his men, the intermittent scurrying of tiny rodent feet along the edge of the tent, the rhythmic rise and fall of calls from countless nocturnal birds. He rolled over with a groan, searching and failing to find some kind of relief for his aching back. He was getting too old for life in a tent. He was surrounded by goatskin walls instead of stone or adobe. The mats of the floor offered precious little cushion for ever-stiffening joints and muscles. The routine was daily and predictable. Pack up, move to a new plot of ground for the herds and flocks, struggle to find water, pitch your tent, and then get up the next day and do it all again. Abraham heard a familiar cough as Sarah stirred on the other side of the tent in the woman's room. He pictured her there, awake too, staring at the thin line of pale moonlight creeping under the bottom edge of the tent as her heart strained to find a remaining glimmer of hope in the dark night of God's long-delayed promises. Aching back, empty womb, broken heart. Abraham had asked her to give up her family, her country, and every comfort of home to wander Canaan with him. If she did, he told her, God would finally give her the child for which she had so longed. Abraham believed God, and Sarah believed Abraham. But now the years stretched out behind them, ticking away until all hope for a child was almost lost. They were old now, so very old. God's promise and Abraham's faith had grown dim. Abraham sighed, his eyes fluttered closed, and the tent grew silent. And then Abraham heard the voice of God, soft and so very near. Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I am your shield, your very great reward. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Tears filled the old man's eyes as he cried out into the darkness, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. God responded to Abraham's doubt, his questioning, and accusation with remarkable tenderness. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Chapter 15, verse 4. Then God took Abraham from his tent and out into the night, bright with starlight. Abraham pulled his cloak closer against the chill. Look up at the sky and count the stars, God said to him, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. Chapter 15, verse 5. Abraham lifted his deeply lined face to the sky strewn with a multitude of stars, each crafted by God's own hand. He gasped at the magnitude of it. In awe of a sky laden with riotous wonder, the handicraft of a God who specializes in the impossible. And Abraham believed. Nearly three decades later, Abraham paced back and forth in front of his tent at the sounds of Sarah's cries mingled with the songs of the night. And then a baby's thin cry abruptly joined the chorus of creation. Abraham cried out in joy and fell to his knees in worship of a God who had been faithful to his promises, a God for whom nothing is impossible. Moments later, a servant knelt beside him and placed Abraham's swaddled newborn son in his ancient father's arms. Abraham bent his head low to brush the top of the baby's head with his lips, so tiny, so small, so fragile, a promise fulfilled just in time. Abraham turned his face to the heavens where a multitude of stars stretched out into infinity, and Abraham believed. In Daily Grace Company's Waiting for the Savior Advent Study, Promise to Abraham section shows, even when it seemed impossible, God's promises to Abraham were as steadfast and sure as the God who made them. 
The genealogy of Jesus begins with a reminder of an extraordinary promise. The first name listed in the genealogy is Abraham, an ordinary man whom God chose to use for an extraordinary purpose. Through Abraham's family line, God would bring about the Redeemer who would save his people from their sins. Abraham seemed an unlikely choice to be an instrument of God's plan. He came from a pagan family who worshipped other gods, and his wife Sarah was barren, leaving them childless and without any hope of offspring. Even so, God chose Abraham to not only be the father of God's people, but of the promised offspring, Jesus Christ. God appeared to Abraham and called him to leave his home and his family and follow the Lord. In his grace, God made three promises to Abraham. First, God promised to make Abraham's name great and his offspring innumerable. This man who was childless would have more children than he could count, numbering the stars in the sky or grains in the sand on the seashore. He would become the father of a multitude of nations. God also promised land for his children to dwell in, a land of abundance and peace. Finally, God promised Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God's promise to Abraham did not stop with him, but extended to every generation and nation of the world. God made a covenant with Abraham, a binding and unbreakable agreement. Even when it seemed impossible, God's promises to Abraham were as steadfast and sure as the God who made them. God sealed the covenant with a ceremony showing that the fulfillment of the promises was entirely dependent on God. When nations formed covenants with one another, it was customary for the lesser nation to take an oath that it would receive a curse if it did not keep the terms of the covenant. In this ceremony, animals would be cut in two and the pieces would be separated to form a pathway in the middle. The lesser nations would walk between the divided animals, symbolically saying, So may God do to me and more also if I fail to keep the terms of this covenant. In God's covenant ceremony, it is not Abraham who passes through the pieces, but God himself. The curse of the covenant would not fall on Abraham, but God would take it upon himself. Many generations later, the Son of God would become a baby born in a stable, the fullness of God in human form, taking the curse on himself. The sins of Abraham and all who put their faith in Jesus would be laid on him, and he would become the curse and pay the penalty of death on the cross. Jesus fulfills the curse of God's covenant with Abraham, but he also fulfills his promises. Through Jesus Christ, Abraham's offspring are not just those who share his DNA. All who have faith in Jesus are sons of Abraham and heirs of the promise. The land promised to Abraham would not just be the land of Canaan, but the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus will usher in in his second coming, when all God's people will dwell with him. Jesus Christ is the offspring of Abraham through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. It is his life, death, and resurrection that enables people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to receive forgiveness and inherit eternal life with him. Abraham received the promise of God, but he would not see it fulfilled in his lifetime. Even so, Abraham believed the Lord. Even when it seemed impossible, God would fulfill every promise he made to Abraham in his way and timing, and he would do it through Jesus Christ. God told Abraham that kings would come from his offspring, and on that holy night in Bethlehem, the king of creation was born, Jesus, the son of Abraham, Jesus, the son of God. As we look back to celebrate his birth, we also look forward with confidence that he will come again. God will bring about his promises in his way and timing, and he will do it through Jesus Christ. Moving on, Daily Grace Company's Waiting for the Savior study, Promise of Isaac, shares how every detail of God's plan of redemption concerns Jesus Christ. Every part of Scripture points to Him. The story of Scripture is a story that builds toward the birth, life, death, resurrection, and sure second coming of Jesus. 
It is a divine story that progressively unfolds using real people in history. Abraham was a real person, and his family line was chosen by God to bring about Jesus, the Redeemer. From the very beginning, it is clear that God's plan is to glorify himself through the use of humanly impossible circumstances. When Abraham received this unbreakable promise from God, he and his wife were without a biological heir. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. Yet despite this glaring barrier to the fulfillment of God's promise of countless offspring that would include the Messiah, Abraham believed. Against all logic, he trusted God, and for 25 years he lived and called upon the name of the Lord. Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. Those years required walking in faith as Sarah remained barren. There were moments of doubt. About a decade into the journey, Sarah gave her maidservant Hagar to Abraham to bear a child named Ishmael. But God did not alter his plan. When Abraham was 99 years old, God reaffirmed his promise to Abraham and changed his name, which means father of many nations. He changed Sarah's name, and he told them that they would conceive and have a son the following year. Abraham would be 100 years old, and Sarah would be 99. She would be well past her childbearing years. Despite Abraham and Sarah's attempts to provide God an alternative solution to carrying out his promises, God reaffirmed the conditions by saying to Abraham, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. The promised child's conception would be miraculous. His very existence would be a reminder of the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Isaac was to be a glimpse of the promised one, Jesus, whose conception would be a miraculous and in whom every promise would be fulfilled. It would all happen just as God said. At the appointed time, Sarah conceived and birthed Isaac. Despite decades of waiting, God was right on time. Despite the effects of the curse of sin on human bodies, God displayed his ability to bring life and fulfill his promises. Isaac was born, and it was undoubtedly clear that he was the one who would receive the Abrahamic covenant. Yet, God was not done. Years later, God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac, as found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 12. Abraham, trusting in God's power to fulfill his word, immediately obeyed. Isaac trusted his father as he followed him to the altar without an animal sacrifice in tow. When it was time, Isaac did not fight against being tied to the wood as a sacrifice. And as Abraham raised his knife to kill his son, God was right on time and stopped him. God provided a substitutionary atonement, a ram. Again, we are pointed to Jesus. Like Isaac, Jesus was a beloved only son who willingly submitted to his father's will. Like Isaac, Jesus did not fight against the wooden cross that he was called to bear. However, unlike Isaac, Jesus was the ram. He was sacrificed as a substitute offering, providing substitutionary atonement for all of God's people. Though he was without sin, he bore the wrath of his father that our sins justly deserved. In doing so, he made a way for us to be recipients of every spiritual blessing. In the end, Jesus is a true and better Isaac. Isaac played a key role in God's story as he was part of Jesus' royal lineage. The Abrahamic covenant was carried out through Isaac and his offspring. It is this covenant and ultimately culminates in the Savior of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of this everlasting covenant. He is the means by which the spiritual blessings of this covenant are given to the nations. The gospel did not start in the New Testament. It was proclaimed ahead of time to Abraham and then to Isaac and his offspring, as found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. God's plan of redemption was not haphazardly executed. God's sovereign hand has always been involved, tending to every detail that go beyond human ability. On every branch of the family tree, we see this attribute of God hanging on display, that He is faithful 
and he always follows through with his promises. Isn't it so amazing to see how God's promises to Abraham were fulfilled in the birth of Isaac, and then many, many years later through the birth of Jesus? Abraham faithfully trusted God in the midst of difficult trials, years and years of waiting, and heavy sorrows even. And we are called to trust God and trust the process in our own trials and sorrow too. This side of heaven, we live in the known reality that we will have suffering in this world. Yet, like Abraham, we can continue to worship and obey the Lord because we trust that He will keep His promises. God kept His word to Abraham. He always does. These scriptures we study together today represent only a few of the many promises God fulfilled that He made about Jesus. Promises that Jesus perfectly fulfilled. Oh, how I wish we had time to walk through all of those promises. But remember this important truth, my friend. Jesus, as found throughout the entirety of the Bible, is all the proof we need that God always, always keeps His promises, and He will keep His promises to us too. In the meantime, though, please take time to sit with these Old Testament prophecies, to feel the ache and the longing as you cling to these promises. This perspective will help us to feel the thrill of Christmas, to feel the thrill of hope in a weary world waiting for centuries for the promised Messiah to arrive. It is a great reminder to us as well as we sit between two advents and anxiously await the day when Emmanuel, God with us, will come back to dwell with us again, when Jesus will make all things new. What a day that will be. Please join me now in prayer. Father God, thank you for your promise to Abraham that you would send someone, a descendant, to bless the whole world. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for your promise to come back and save us, your second advent. Jesus will come again and make all things right. We couldn't do it ourselves, and we are lost without you. Thank you for your promises you made throughout history and for allowing us to see them fulfilled in Jesus, to see them throughout the pages of Scripture. You are true to your word. Thank you for Christmas, for coming, for the reminder that every promise you made was and will be fulfilled in Christ, in the first advent and the second advent. Strengthen our faith as we wait so that we might not forget your faithfulness, your nearness, in our weariness and in our rejoicing. Thank you for being Emmanuel, God with us, in the manger on Christmas Day and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remember that this show is scheduled to release every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Up next time will be some more talk about all things Advent, more specifically putting some flesh, so to speak, on the Christmas story itself. I can't wait. Okay, friends, be sure to follow M. Faring on Instagram to stay up to date about all things related to the podcast. You can also send a friend request to Michelle Faring on Facebook if you would like to keep up with the podcast plus all the shenanigans of my F7 family. Never a dull moment in our home with our handful of fairings. <laughs> if you've not done so already, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And if you are loving the show, please go give this one a five-star review, which is like giving me and this podcast a digital hug. Plus, it's a way to help others find us and learn more about the Bible along with us. I can't wait to connect with you, my OOBTers. This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends. My friends.